0: And welcome to Education Leadership and Beyond Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 88. Excited to be back on uh, with you. We are live on Facebook. Uh, We are going to iTunes eventually, and would like to welcome in our listening audience from Disrupt Ed TV and Voice Ed Radio Canada, uh, who are also listening. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And as I said, it's show number 88. Before we get started, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's show. Uh, this is uh, Rocket Book, once again, is our sponsor. Uh, we are going to be talking to the great Todd Whitaker today. Uh, Todd is all things in the field of education leadership. He has written so many books. I'm in a library right now. I don't know if it's big enough to hold them, uh, but he's written so many books and done so many great things in education. It's really a, a thrill for me. So I'm going to take a lot of notes today. And I'm going to write down a lot of the, the things that Dr. Todd Whitaker is going to share. And I'm going to put it in my rocket book here. And uh, if you've watched the show before, you know it's a reusable notebook. Uh, and Not only is it reusable, it's also scannable to my uh, Google Drive, my email, uh, a text message, uh, Dropbox, all kinds of things like that. So I basically am going to designate down here where I want it to go. And I will have my notes. I don't want to lose these notes. They're, they're going to be precious. Again, talking with... Dr. Todd Whitaker in a moment. So I want to thank Rocketbook for sponsoring uh, today's show. If you are interested in purchasing a Rocketbook, you can uh, check them out at rocketbook.com and use the code MARADA20 for a 20% discount. That's MARADA20, M-A-R-O-T-T-A 2-0. marotta 20 let us get started. The opening concept today, uh, again, uh, in the field of education or outside the field of education, who is someone that is doing something that you want to do? Someone that you admire? Someone whose work you say, "Man, I want to, I want to, I want to do that. I want to I act like that. I want to, you know, be part of that." And Dr. Todd is is someone uh, in the in the field of education that I've always admired. Uh, I started out when I was a teacher. I read. Uh, someone said, "You got to read this book." Back when I read it, it was only fifteen, uh, but now there's seventeen. Uh, things that what great teachers can do differently. This is only one of Dr. Todd's books. Uh, and then when I became an administrator, I read the What Great Principals Do Differently. And I said, this guy's got it going on. I like his style. I like his approach. And I have read his book since and followed Dr. Todd. And it's a thrill to have him on the show today. We're going to talk to him here in just a moment. So my message today, my opening point today is who is somebody that that you want to be like. And you got to study the person. You got to follow the person. You have to look at what they do and how they act. Uh Maybe get in touch with them about being a, uh, a mentor for you, someone that you can bounce things off of or share experiences. Because if they have the things that you, you want or, or doing the things that you want to do, ask them, right? So how do you get a mentor? How do you develop a relationship with someone like that? You have to reach out and ask those people. So Whether it's in the field of education or outside the field of education, look for those people and and do the best you can to to see the things that they do and and how they do them. Right. Um, Whether you're modeling those behaviors or or whatever it is, Um, I have several mentors in my life that have helped me. A number of them have been on the show, Um, but it is a thrill for me to talk to Dr. Todd Whitaker today and um, we're going to meet him right now. So let's bring him in here. And boom, there he is. Dr. Ty. welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Thank
1: you. I'm very glad to be here. I'm honored.
0: I appreciate you taking the time to come on. And we jumped through some hurdles here uh, technologically, but we made it.
1: Excellent. And now, is your 20% discount applied to anything or just the Rocket Notebook? Because my wife's birthday is coming up, and I can <laughs> use a 20% uh, a helping code if you could do that. So, well you know, way, sir, sir'.
0: Certainly, maybe if she wants to jot notes for that second book, the rocket book might be right for her, but just today, it's only rocket book, Doc. Okay,
1: got it. Sounds good. <laughs> I thought I'd double check.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and if you don't know who Dr. Todd Whitaker is, uh, he is a leader in the field of education uh, and leadership. Um, he has combined his passions uh, with his career, and he's authored over 50 books. Uh, he's a professor He's a former school administrator. He's a former teacher and coach. He's got his doctorate. Uh, he's an author. He's a father. That's a lot there, Dr. Todd, uh, that you've accomplished in your lifetime. So uh, we appreciate you being on here today.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I it's kind of neat. I'm on show uh, 88 because next month is my birthday and uh, I'll be exactly half that. That's kind <laughs> of a neat uh, thing for you math teachers out there. Do the math and then you can kind of question whether that's true. but. Uh, I'm very honored to be here, and I'm uh, very fortunate uh, to have the opportunity to uh, influence and work with people who make such a difference with uh, uh, students everywhere, and that's that's just a blessing.
0: Yeah, and Dr. Todd, there's so many things I want to get to, and we'll start with your most recent uh, books. You you had uh, you co-authored two books together, and and I I recently just got the Essential Truths for Principles. And this is such a great read. It's it's very uh, easy to read. It's there there's shorter concepts. Um, you know, I'm able to throw it in my bag. And and you even have a how to in the beginning of the book, right? How to use this book? Why don't you tell me about the uh, the concepts in this book here and what motivated you to get going with this uh, your latest book?
1: Um, well, uh, if any of you know Danny Steele, he's at Steele Thoughts on Twitter. He is uh, uh, has tremendous ideas. And one of the things I've always tried to do, this doesn't mean I did it, but I've always tried to do when I write a book, I don't want it to be something that becomes a joke in three years. I don't do things that have initials. I don't do things that are the latest thing because they go away and then become incidental. And that's come I wanted to call it, the essential truths, because we were looking for things that are more timeless. And I thought, who better to do it with than uh, Danny Steele? And uh, we, we really have two books because we really wrote it as one and then realized I'm not sure if the teacher audience wants the principal ones. I'm not sure if the principal ones necessarily want the teacher audience. And we wanted to keep it short. I like it when my books, you can finish in about one average restroom visit. And so um, uh, that's kind of where we went. People are busy. And I'll tell you a quick funny story you'd shown the book, uh, What Great Teachers Do Differently. And when I wrote that years ago, my publisher at the time used to always say, Todd, the longer the book, the more people want it. And I'd go the shorter the book, the more people want it. And he'd go, no, the longer the book, the more people want it. And I go, the shorter the book, the more people want it. <laughs> it came out and had an unbelievable response. And he goes, I guess the shorter the book, the more people want it. And I said, I don't know. I told so you. We, we tried to keep that up with these uh, essential truths books also.
0: Yeah. And there's so many concepts in here, um, you know, just even in the opening of the book, the, the second concept's about you could tell the culture of the school by listening to the hallways of how the teachers talk to each other. Uh, was great. But there's so much in here about building relationships in the staff. Tell me about that concept as, it, as it's weaving into so many, uh, you know, principles in the book.
1: Well, as you well know, one of my big beliefs is that it's people, it's not programs. And programs come and go. And um, people are the ones that make a difference. You know, wh- whatever you think of in your school. And, and I'm somebody who believes in innovation but let's think about something as simple as alternative classroom seating. You know, that's a big popular thing now. What's amazing is your best teacher may have innovative classroom seating. Your worst teacher may have innovative classroom seating. Your best teacher may have traditional classroom seating. Your worst teacher may have traditional classroom seating. That doesn't mean it's not a neat thing, that doesn't mean it doesn't have some value, but that shows it's not the difference maker and our real my real goal always is to sort out what the difference makers are because if we look at something besides things that really make a difference many times we put our time and energy into things that aren't going to lead us down the path that we wish they would
0: that's a great concept and you're right about the uh the classroom setup that is something that people are talking about but it is that teacher that's orchestrating everything in the classroom so i agree with you doc you you mentioned that you co-authored this book uh with danny steele and a lot of your works have been co-authored. Tell me about that, working with, a, with another person in, in writing a book where maybe you have one idea here and that your co-author has it here. How do you, how do you meet in the middle or, or win you know, those arm wrestles?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is to, is to try to work with people who have overlapping belief systems. Uh, you know, it's funny. As a principal, I always believed if two people make every decision based on what's best for students, they never disagree even when they disagree. So if you work with somebody who has a true heart and a belief system and has the ability to communicate it, you know, working with Danny was easy because you already know how he writes. You already know what his beliefs are. And I think when you look at his beliefs and you look at my beliefs, there's tons of overlap in them. And um, so that that was actually an easy one to be able to do that because it's funny. He and I had talked at a conference somewhere, you know, maybe two years ago and I talked to him and he talked about writing a book and he was going to do one for a publisher, but it was on something the publisher wanted done. You know, it was like a, it was like a new program in education and Danny can do it. But I said, Danny, that's not you. Your core are, is, is belief system. Your core isn't this concept here that's going to be gone in five years. And so because of that, it made it an easy thing. And if you look at our, um, the things we've written, you don't know who wrote which one. And we did that yeah. actually on purpose. OK. And and the thing that's funny is I'll, somebody will quote one or somebody will show a picture of one on Twitter. And I even have to ask myself, is that the is, did I write that or did he? Because there's so many belief systems that overlap. And so um, but you need somebody who has the same belief system, I think, to be able to co-author or else I, I feel like you're you're really run into trouble then.
0: And the ideas, Doctor Todd, is it is it you're having coffee uh, with Danny one day and said, "Hey, man, we should do this project together." Where do the ideas come from, especially when you've had so many? Like you just keep coming up with ideas. Where where do they come from?
1: Um, I don't know. They just they just kind of pop into my head, and I don't really understand it. And I'm not trying to be funny about it. I, I really mean they just. I and I have to write them down before my head explodes. You know, it's yeah. like this is. A, some of my belief systems, it's really funny. Some of my writings have been because I'll hear someone talk about something and they're just wrong. I- I'm not trying to be mean. They're just wrong. And there's mm-hmm. somebody, I don't mind they say it. My fear is people believe them. And it's like, no, I've got to clarify that. You know, I wrote a book on leading school change because two people that are way more known in education than than I am wrote books on change. And one of the books on change was uh, – this is what you should change to there. The other person's book on change is this is why you should change. I thought everybody knows why they should change and everybody has a vision of what they should change to. Do you know what keeps us from doing it? We don't know how. And so my book was how do you change rather than belief systems about change or, or things like that. And, and that's really the thing that I try to do in, in other books. I try to teach you how, You know, I'm writing a book now called uh, how to get all teachers to be like the best teachers, because in my mind, that's the only solution to education in every school in the country, including New Jersey. In every school, you have a couple teachers that have cracked the Da Vinci Code. In every school, we've done it regardless of, of, of environment, regardless of the principal, regardless of the State Department, regardless of budget. You have a couple teachers that have cracked the Da Vinci Code, which tells you in that environment, it's possible. So rather than looking outside your school, if you could get all the teachers in your school to be like your best teachers, yeah. you'd solve it. And, and it's possible with the same students in the same environment. And once people realize that, now they have a chance of, of figuring this out instead of. But one of the concepts in there, and it's in uh, What Great Principals Do Differently also, I believe, is um, teach, don't tell. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm guessing, Andrew, you've been told to raise your test scores. And Andrew, I'm also guessing you haven't been holding back on that one either. You know what I mean? I, I'm guessing you have your test scores up as high as you know how to get them. And if you could get your test scores higher, you'd do it. But if I tell you to raise your test scores, all you do is start to disenfranchise from me because it gets frustrating. But if I taught you to raise your test scores, you'd follow me around like I'm the Pied Piper. And that's the things we have to understand as leaders, in my opinion, to bring about the changes and, and to bring about the improvement we want to do. But in your school, somebody's done it. Yeah. So, how do we emulate that versus invent that,
0: Doc? And that's great concepts. And we're going to get to the the book here now. Uh, we are live on Facebook. Our friend Jay Billy is watching. And uh, um, if you do have a question for Dr. Todd or myself, you know, please put it on there, uh, or certainly leave a comment after the show if you're watching it after it's live. But we are live right now, and if you want to put a question, I'll try to get to it. Uh, but the next question, Doc, uh, Dr. Todd, did, did this book? kind of bring you to the next level was this the one that really kind of catapulted things uh, up to the next level
1: um it, it it's kind of funny my first book was called dealing with difficult teachers and the reason that was my first book is that's the single hardest thing to do for a leader how do you deal with a difficult teacher to either get them to change or get them to to look at all the alternatives But but gain credibility with the faculty instead of lose it. Yes. One of the schools where I became principal, my at the end of my first year, my five least effective teachers were gone. I didn't document any of them. And the rest of the faculty voted unanimously to extend the school by 20 minutes a day with no pay. And the real concept is if you do things right, because what happens is the most negative person in a school kills the school and it kills the peers. The teachers want you to deal with them. They just want you to deal with them in a professional, respectful manner. Yes. So I wrote that, and then the, uh, I wrote uh, several other books, and then I wrote What Great Principals Do Differently. And that was really a core, and then I heard from so many principals who wanted me to write What Great Teachers Do Differently. Sure. And my wife and I are actually trying to write What Great uh, Parents Do Differently. She's writing it all. I'm writing one chapter called Cut Me a Switch. So anyhow, um, that's a joke for my counselor friends. Nobody needs to hotline me. That is a joke right there. I'm just letting you know that. But it, it, the, the real key is that is differently. Not what they do, but what they do that, that other people don't do. And so that was a really significant thing. What great teachers do differently has, uh, res- seems to have resonated with the same way with what great principles. And, and I'm very blessed that way. Very fortunate. And But its I don't want you to know the things. I want you to do the things. And that's a different approach
0: and you're sharing them and you're doing what you just said right Your uh, p- those teachers that broke the da vinci code you're talking about what they're doing in here and and, and sharing it with others right we right. make this for a book study for all of our new teachers if you see here we have a, the books labeled uh because i ask all my new teachers to read them because you're sharing that information which is so valuable to everyone well
1: you're you're kind to do that and and the you know as principals when you hire a new teacher, you have one goal. That's for your school to become more like the new teachers, not for the new teachers to become like the school. And that's where you start with them. And, and I'm glad you're doing that because as we know, every school has a welcoming committee. And I'm hoping it's always one, the principal and the main, the good teachers developed versus the one that informally comes about that sure. is welcoming them into their group. And that's and just essential. That's the quickest way to change the culture of an organization is to hire people who have things you don't have.
0: Dropping knowledge here, uh, Dr. Todd. Um, Dr. Whitaker, tell me about you know on, on a lot of your, on your website on the, uh, on the University of Missouri website. It says you know Dr. Todd has spent his life pursuing his love of education by researching and studying effective teachers and principals. When did this become something like man? I am going to pursue this, or I'm I'm into this. Uh, this is something that motivates me. When did that start to happen? Was it early in your principalship? when you, Was Was it still when you were teaching and coaching? When did right. you develop that fire to say, I, I, I'm into this?
1: Um, it's kind of funny. I got into education a little different. I, my undergraduate was business administration, and I started law school. And I happened to be dating a girl whose dad was a high school basketball coach. And I, he, he was actually the third winningest coach in Missouri high school history. Wow. I had a chance to see the impact he and his wife, who was also an educator, had on the lives of so many others. And I thought that's what I want to do. I I want to make a difference. And so then I taught, um, I taught math and was a basketball coach and I taught on personality. It turns out other people have lesson plans and stuff, but um, (laughs) you know, I, I I think I was okay, but I realized if I could do something to help the other teachers in the school, because you know, I'd have kids that I had in class and uh, that I had on the basketball team and other teachers would have them sitting out in the hallway or send them to the office, and I'd be like, if you can't handle this person, mm-hmm. it must be a struggle every day to teach. And so I thought, if I can do something to help them, and then I became a principal and was principal and varsity boys and varsity girls basketball coach all at the same time in a, in a small high school in Missouri. Wow. And, then, um, and I really enjoyed that, and then I uh, got married and the fun ended. And um, but then i that's a that's a joke too. I don't think my wife's on Facebook. I think she's still on MySpace. We're good. Um, and so then I had a chance to become a principal in Jefferson City, and my wife was a principal in Jefferson City, and she actually has gone to the White House and gotten recognition and all this kind of stuff. And wow. And um, so that's neat. We have quite a bit of a, uh, administrator talk around the supper table, as you can imagine. Yeah. But what we do matters, you know. I always think, how do people have other professions that really don't matter? And there's so many professions that don't matter. I'm glad other people are doing it because I'm glad they're leaving these important ones to the people like yourself and the people who are watching this. But yeah. what we do matters. And aren't you glad? I know it's really hard, but aren't you glad you have a profession that makes a difference every day? Because there's so many that don't. And we've chosen one that does. And I don't know how people can't be passionate about it. They, they've got to because our jobs are too important.
0: Absolutely. And it goes back to those concepts about building the relationships, uh, making kids want to come to school because maybe they're high fiving you in the hallway or, or you're playing a song on the, on the loudspeakers that they dig. Things like that, uh, you know, building that school culture.
1: Are, are you um, one other reason they come? Because they're learning a lot in your classroom. I mean, different kids have different things. You know, culture is not an event. It isn't. Culture is what we do every single day. Um, And I'm somebody, I love events. You know, that's kind of my personality. And that's great if a principal kisses a pig. That is great. But that's not where, that's not what makes a difference every day. It's how the kids are treated every day. Kids are in in homes that, that are sad situations. They have good days. But it's the people that have that every day that are the ones that are the most well-rounded and most likely to be most significant. And that's the, that's what we have to do at schools. It's not about an event. Teacher morale is not an event. Teacher morale is what we do every single day. I've got to make you feel special. I've got to make you feel important. I've got to support you and make you feel valued every day. Cause if I don't, then it's going to be tough for you to do that same thing with the students.
0: You wrote that in concept number 42 here uh, in this book here about it's an everyday thing. It's not, you know, we have teacher, National Pre- uh, Teacher Appreciation Day is coming up here May 7th, but it really, it should be every day by doing those little things to support teachers. So that's one of your concepts in here. Dr. Todd, you're talking about making an impact on people and you've now taken it to the next level and the next level, you know, you're making an impact on leaders now, you know, working with leaders and and, and inspiring leaders here. Are we have some- Am
1: I upside down on your screen? Because I've had to plug my phone in because it's about to. Die.
0: <laughs> you are now upside down. We've turned things upside down here on education. I'm not like, Let me try this. Okay. I apologize. That's okay. How's this? That's good. You're back to it.
1: Okay. You were about
0: to die there in uh, Missouri.
1: Yes, I am, and we'll we'll see. I can't. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't even tell if it's charging. But we'll see here. <laughs>
0: What I was going to ask you, Doc, and I appreciate you adjusting the technology. We're making it work. We're charging. We're good. We're good. You're back to it. Yes. Okay. Um, you, you know, teaching leaders now. You, you're you teaching leaders like myself who've, who followed you and, and read your stuff and read your books. You know, one of your presentations is, the, you know, the three rules of leadership. You know, without telling us the whole presentation, you know, what are those concepts built around?
1: Sure. I'll, I mean, I'll tell you it's, there's, there's three things. Every decision you make, you need to ask these three questions. And I don't just mean you, Andrew. I mean, everyone needs to ask these three questions. What's the purpose? Will this actually accomplish the purpose and what will the best people think? And if you start with question three, you oftentimes don't have to ask question one and two. Wow. That, that's the core of every, of every decision. What's the purpose? Will this actually accomplish the purpose and what will the best people think?
0: And I like that you focus on the best people, not the loudest people. Right.
1: There, everything changes because of the best people. Um, if you think about this for any principal, the best teachers are the only ones that are always on your side. They are. And the other thing the best people do, you know, when we talked about coming to class, they do it every day. They don't do it when they're in a good mood. They don't do it based on vacation. They don't do it based on class size. They do it every day because they know the students deserve it. And, and, and the, 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 the drumbeat that I would like in leaders' heads is every decision, ask yourself, what do the best people think? 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 Because if they don't like it, you don't do it. Because the very best people have a global view they don't want them to be successful. They want everyone to be successful. And most people have a self-view where they'd like them to be successful and it'd be great if other people were successful. Um, And then ineffective people have a completely different view than that. But the best people have such a well-rounded view. And that's part of where Shifting the Monkey came from, if you're familiar with that book. I was just
0: getting to it here. I lost uh, the cover here, but it is There you go, yes. Uh,
1: They, they, in, in Shifting the Monkey... I talk about blanket monkeys and blanket monkeys are where instead of dealing with an individual person, we throw it on everybody. And that kills your best people because your best people want these people dealt with. They just want them dealt with in a professional and respectful manner. And think about a faculty meeting. You know, has anybody ever had a faculty meeting where the principal's talking to all the teachers about one teacher that's doing something wrong? And the principal's going, you know, sometimes some of you are late, sometimes some of you, sometimes some of you are late, sometimes some of you. And guess who's most worried? The best teacher. And you know what they're thinking? What are you talking to me for? Why don't you talk to, they're not even here yet, you know? And so uh, when we do that, what happens is we start to disenfranchise and chip away at our ineffective people. I mean, at our best people. Yes. The other thing I think that's unbelievable in principals, and I just don't understand this, average principals expect teachers to stand up to their negative colleagues. That's not their job. That's the principal's job. Yes. The teacher's job is to do what's right, even when their colleagues do wrong. I compare it to children. Do you have, do you have any children?
0: I do. I have three okay. of my own, yes.
1: Do you expect your children to fix their friends? No. Do you expect your children to do what's right, even when their friends do wrong?
0: Absolutely.
1: And that's a tough enough standard, isn't it? And that's exactly what the whole concept of shifting the monkey. I never do anything that the good people aren't going to like and support because right. I can't lose them. They're the first people that can leave an organization and they'll do it because they have confidence and they know they can do something else. And they're the ones that are valuable. Instead, we so often cater to people that are like you said, the ones that do the most complaining. And the thing we have to realize is we can give them anything and they're still going to complain. And so we've got to focus on the best people. You know, people don't quit their jobs. They quit their bosses. And the best people always want to make a difference. And if they feel shuttered in, if they feel limited in your organization, they're going to go somewhere where they don't have those inhib- inhibitions because um, yeah. they want to make as big a difference as possible.
0: And, and Dr. Todd, I'm glad you brought up shifting the monkey again. I lost the cover here, but this is it. You know, you touch on so many things in here that are difficult for leaders, especially new leaders, right? The, the motivating stuff is, is fun. It's energizing. You're making people better, that kind of stuff. But, this is some of the real hard stuff in education and you go right at it in here. You don't, you, you, you had some salt and pepper when you you wrote this, didn't you?
1: Yes. And what's funny is I've written two books for the business world. And that's one of the two books. It was in airport bookstores and all this stuff. And I work with businesses. I just worked with several hundred uh, directors of retirement centers and I've worked with banks and I've worked with, I worked with 1200 car dealers recently because it's really about leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, But just because of education, people who are in education then have chosen it, but understand this. The reason I have confidence to deal with negative people is because my good people want me to. Yeah. It's killing them. We are sucking the life out of people by not dealing with the effective people the ineffective people. Here's a way to think about it. The problem with leadership isn't that we ask ineffective people to do important things. The problem with leadership is we ask effective people to do unimportant things. We, we punish them for being good and we can't do that. As a leader, we have to delegate because there's so many things. And he, But here's the way we delegate. anything You delegate anything anyone else can do because there's so many things only you can do. You have to delegate anything anyone else can do because there's so many things only you can do. But you have to delegate the importance of the task to the importance of the people. Don't delegate unimportant things to important people. I say if in your school you have um, three uh, uh, clerical people, office workers, office managers, secretaries, whatever you want to call them. I'm not trying to be insulting. Different schools call them different things. So Absolutely. You, you, you put your own term in your head. If you have three and there's a difference in their skill skill level, never ask the best secretary to fold and staple. Ask the worst secretary to fold and staple, because if you don't ask them to fold and staple, potentially they do less than everybody else. And I don't ask my best secretary to fold and staple because that takes them from doing the things that only they can do. And we've got to think like this all the time when we're doing this. The thing that's different between shifting the monkey and it's, it's like when I talk about superstars in the book, you have to read the definition I write. It can't be your own mental definition. Shifting the monkey, most people think, boy, I need to read that because I need pressure off of me. That's not what, that's what average leaders do. Average leaders, poor leaders are very good at avoiding. They're very good at taking care of themselves. What it is, is the great leaders take the pressure off the good people and put it on them. Then take the pressure off them and put it on less effective people. And it's not the great people's job to put it on the ineffective people. It's your job. Every time I'm around a great employee, my goal is to take, pre- take a monkey off them and put it on me. Every time I'm around an ineffective employee, my goal is to take a monkey off me and put it on them. And because think about this, what's different is with your very best teacher, uh, uh, if you take a responsibility off them, do they then do less? Or do they put a new responsibility on them that's way more important than the one you took off?
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're going to take on something else or join something else. Yeah.
1: And so I'm always protecting them because they're going to think of something way better than I'm ever going to think of that's going to make more of a difference because I'm not smart enough to think like that. But I know they are. But I'm smart enough to be able to take it off them. I would say, if you have a science teacher and you free up them, they're splitting the atom. <laughs> you know, and and... And It's the same way in schools. I want risk takers. I have three children. I teach my three children this all the time. A follower is never going to cure cancer. And I'd like somebody to come up with that one, but it's going to be a risk taker. It's going to be a person who has some some genius in them. It's not going to be a rule follower because the rule follower is going to just follow the rules, and that didn't lead to us curing cancer before. It's got to be somebody who thinks differently than everybody else, and I want to free them up so they can think differently. Standardized testing. The biggest cost in standardized testing is it keeps the it holds the great teachers back? Yeah, that's the cost. We think it's about ineffective people or low such. It holds the great teachers back. Sure. Um, the, you know what happens is they don't split the atom because we're testing photosynthesis. You know we're they don't about, do great. We're worried
0: they about worried about keeping. So, so let me ask you this question yes. a little bit. One of the questions I have for you, Doc, and because you're focusing so much on our great people and, and you're blending the union world and all of that. You know, is, is tenure a good thing in education? Because this is one of the frustrations that I have, that there's a percentage of people that it's very difficult that, to remove them from a position, especially here in New York. Uh, do you think it's a good thing in education?
1: Andrew, I think leadership's a good thing in education. Um, here's the thing I have about tenure. This is so funny to me, and it's just it's one of those deals. We think the reason we have ineffective people is tenure. The reason we have ineffective people is because we have ineffective leaders. I, I'm not trying to be mean. And I, I'm not saying that doesn't, have you ever been in a, in a Walmart? Absolutely. Okay. Have you ever been and seen an employee there that wasn't very good? Sure. Do they have tenure? No. Okay. Um, have you ever had a repairman Called the cable company, and were they there on time? And were they dressed well? And were they professional? And were they responsible? And were they respectful? And if the answer is no, do they have tenure? No. But you also have gone in a Walmart that the cust- that the clerk said, "Hi, can I help you? Is there anything I can do to support you?" And you ask a question, and they go, "Well, let me show you where it is." And they're taking you around. You know how come? Because they have a different leader. They don't get paid different. They don't have different tenure. They don't have different laws. They have a different leader. And I'm not saying that there's never been someone who hides behind that. Because there's always someone who hides hides behind something. But the other thing is with the leader, you know, that I've learned, I've got to teach the heads of the union how this person hurts you too. Mm -hmm. You know, this person hurts you too. This hurts all of us. We need credibility. We need to be effective. And when we teach them that, sometimes that can help people grow. So I have a a question there. Do you have at least a couple of good teachers in your school?
0: We got many.
1: Yeah, and tenure had nothing to do with them being good, did it?
0: No, that, that yeah. was something that they, they picked up along the way, but weren't even right. worried about it. My you, right? guess
1: is if you have ineffective people with tenure, my guess is somebody let them achieve it, and they probably weren't flying high at that point either.
0: You're 100% correct, Dr. Todd.
1: So so things like that are, I understand the debate, I truly do, but sure. that's not going to solve things.
0: Sure. Doc, let's ask about you personally here. Again, it's a, it's a thrill for me to have you on the show. And, again, if you're watching live and you want to leave a comment or a question for Dr. Todd, please do so. Um, but how about you personally, Doc? You're, you know, things that you do now, you've been doing this so long and you've helped so many people along the way. How do you continue to sharpen your saw? What are things that you do even now at this point in your career that are continuing to help you get better?
1: I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story. I knew a teacher that taught fifth grade for 43 years. Wow. And uh, phenomenal. I mean, truly phenomenal. Like as good a teacher as you're ever going to see. And I, at her 43rd year, I ask her, I go, how on earth do you still care and try so much in your 43rd year? She goes, you know, this is my 43rd year of teaching fifth grade, and it's their first year of taking it. I don't know how people don't stay this way. I mean, I'm, I'm part of it is I'm so hyper, you know, I'm in 11 states. I'm not allowed to have caffeine um, <laughs> and things like, you know, one of my books, believe it or not, it's called feeling great. And it's about taking care of yourself physically. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I, I like titles and I wanted to call it. Everybody's been on a diet. And my publisher said, no, I have never been on a diet. And I'm like, but everybody knows. And we called it feeling great. It's one of my worst selling books. And I love the title. Everybody's been <laughs> on a diet. and I wish we have stuck it out with it. <laughs> um so every day i take you know like this morning already believe it or not i've run lifted weights and swam and but i did that when i was a principal every every day when i was a principal i'd run at five fifteen in the morning i'd run seven miles at five fifteen, and i'm slow i'm not i'm not in shape i'm not anything just it's just making myself um
0: seven miles every morning
1: yeah seven miles and the thing that was helpful is if you run seven miles and it's snowing that angry parent doesn't rattle you if your life depended on it, you know. It does, it, and I don't mean you don't care. I'm not trying to be insensitive. It just, it just doesn't rattle me. And so that was that's so important to me. I do 365 days a year, and I've done it uh, for lots and lots of years. Um, most of my 44 years, I've done it. And um, I'm joking about the 44. That was an earlier joke. I was just tying back to 88,
0: uh, man. Tying back. And, that, and
1: that's real helpful for me. But it's just, I just care. You know, it, it's really funny. I just care. That's it. I just care a ton because what we do matters. Wow. And that's it.
0: That's and so do, it.
1: So, so, do so many people watch and I don't mean I'm any different than anybody else, but that's my driver. Yeah. Something happens and it's, it's just in me in a second. And, uh, you know, I'll call somebody or ask them or, and it's funny about writing books because I've, I've, I've written a lot, but I've never read any of them. And it's because there's something in me and I've got to get it out. And once I'm done, I can just go on that. I don't even look at them or don't care. And it's what's the next idea.
0: Yeah, you're moving on.
1: Yeah, it's just just weird. I'm weird in lots of ways. Somebody told me the other day, I'm the only person they've ever known who's written more books than they've read. And that's (laughs) close to the truth, let me tell you.
0: (laughs) Doc, 515, you mentioned you run, you've been doing this forever. You know, great leaders have great morning routines. What are some other things that that, uh, you revolve your mornings around to help you be more successful?
1: I think it's mentally thinking through what things make the most difference. And that's, that's where the running or the working out comes into play because I'm able to sort, you know, I can, I can kind of sort things out, um, because of that, just that peaceful time, the fact that you're by yourself and, and unfortunately by the time I was done running, uh, seven miles takes a lot longer than it did when I started running. So we have to keep (laughs) that in mind. Um, but I think it's, it's sorting out what priorities are, what things really make a difference, um. Every decision, even if I'm going through this, I'm thinking, what will the best teacher think? What will the best teacher think? What will the best teacher think? A little tip for people dealing with negative people. I always say the key to a difficult conversation is to make sure it's difficult for the correct person. If I didn't do anything wrong, why on earth would this conversation with this person be difficult for me? Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about accidentally did something wrong. I'm not talking about somebody who wants to repair. You know what I'm talking about, somebody who's chronically doing this. The other thing that's been a blessing for me is both my girls and my wife are diehard educators. My girls and I have written two books together, and, um, and we present a lot together, uh, which is really fun. Now they're so good at presenting. When I present with them, sometimes I honestly feel like I'm nothing but eye candy. Um, <laughs> but... But my wife always says, "Trust me, you're not eye candy." But that's fun because it's in their it's in their blood too. And neither one yeah. of them were going to be educators. One of them was going to be an archaeologist, and then first semester found out she had to get her hands dirty. And um and 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 the girls are personalities are completely different, but they are tough. Yeah. and they are classroom management machines. And that's re- helped me revisit teaching and what it is that makes the best teachers different than all the others is by studying and working with them and their schools and. And it's just, it's just fun. I just like yeah. it.
0: Yeah. And that was one of the questions too. And, and we're running out of time here, but one of your presentations is it's a wonderful life, right? You, you look at how successful you are and the things you're doing, and now you're working alongside your family. You know, what does yeah. that meant to you as, as a leader in your family uh, to work with your children and your wife there?
1: Oh, well, I absolutely love it. My wife is so much more talented than me. What's ironic is she used to present more than I did. And then we started having kids and then you kind of have to decide who's going to be home and who isn't. Sure. we were very blessed when we were principals. We had visitors at our school. It's hard to describe. Um, she limited it to two days a week and mine would be four days a week. We would have visits, but she had as many or more than I did. Just you have to have a different way of, of doing that. And I the stuff we were doing, I assumed everybody else in the world was doing. It turns out they weren't. And I assumed everybody else in the world would be doing it in two years. And they're still not, which is still stunning to me in terms of this, but that keeps that vibrancy up. And my girls also just care a lot. I mean, we talk all the time. They, they are, uh, so good at what they do. Um, and so that's just, it's just, it's just incredibly fun. It's, it's, it's really a treat. And then my son's at New York university I'd mentioned. And sure. Uh, we don't know what path he's going down. He graduates next month, but, uh, he, his very favorite thing to do is tutor. So one never knows.
0: That's teaching. Absolutely. Wow. Doc, one more question, and then we're going to get to our rapid fire here. You've held a lot of different positions in your life, and, and you've mentioned the coaching hoops and teaching math and, and being a principal and, and now a professor. You know, you, you changed from Indiana State to, to Missouri. Um, you changed out of uh, you know, being a teacher to a principal. When, when did you know it was the right time? to make those changes in your life?
1: To me, it's always looking forward, not back. I, I, I just, I'm not someone who looks in the rearview mirror. I'm always a windshield guy. And for me, I'm teaching, and I thought I got into education to, teach, to make a difference. That's, that's why. But I thought I could make more of a difference if I could help all the other teachers in the school than I could do what I could do in the classroom. Then I, then I became a principal, and I was assuming everybody's doing this stuff, and I realized that not everybody was doing this stuff, so I thought, if I could teach principals how to be more effective and help develop them, that would make more of a difference than me being a principal. And then this whole thing was speaking and writing books, because I'm, I'm not a good writer. I'm the only uh, author, and this is a true story, I'm the only author that my publisher sends the books to the editor before they send them out for review. Because otherwise, all the reviews come back and just say, they're hard. I can't read a word of it. they hasn't, doesn't have any noun verb agreement, and, and they're right. Um, but I thought, how can I make more of a difference? And I really only write things down so you know exactly what to do. I don't write them down for any other reason. I write them down because I want my book, Dealing with Difficult Parents, I wrote because I, I wrote it for my teachers in my school. I was principal of three different schools, and the teachers didn't know what to say to parents. And I don't want them calling parents if they don't know what to say. Because sure. I don't want you to lose confidence if it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. So it's just expanding, trying to make a difference, have a, a positive impact
0: on people. That's a great answer, Dr. Todd. And uh, uh, I mean, we could go on here and extend the show for, for days here. You're sharing so much knowledge. And I have filled up uh, uh, this book here with, with notes here. Would um, you like
1: to send the sponsor again?
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to we'll give Rocket Book again. And with all okay. the writing you do, seriously, you might want to look at it. It's great. It's a reusable notebook. Uh, it's great. I have my cloth here. And then uh, I'm going to designate this and I'll share it to you when we're done. So you have the notes, but uh, you designate where you want it to go.
1: That is amazing. That's really don't
0: You don't lose this stuff. And I love, because as a principal, you know, you're always on the go and that kind of stuff. So Murata 20 will get you that discount, Dr. Todd. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Let's get to rapid fire here. Okay. These are quick answers, Doc. Um, What's the last book you read?
1: I'm a true crime guy. So, some version of a true crime story. I don't even know which one. uh, Some kind of true crime novel. I'd read a lot when I'm traveling that way, and I'll read them.
0: Sure. Are you a Grisham fan?
1: No, I only like true crime.
0: Okay. Not
1: not a fiction guy.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Last movie you saw? Uh,
1: I just saw Shazam. Okay. And right before that, I saw Gloria Bell, and right before that, I saw Green Book. But my son is really into movies, so he sends me a list of stuff I have to see. So I go see it so he and I can talk about it.
0: There you go. Very cool. Uh, You've traveled all over the world presenting and educating. Um, Where's your favorite place to travel?
1: Most beautiful place in North America by far, in my opinion, is Banff up in Canada. It's the Canadian Rockies, and I absolutely love it. I do a lot of overseas traveling with my kids, but I don't go overseas unless somebody will go with me because I don't want to go. And I I have no interest in taking a 16 hour flight, speaking two hours and flying back by myself. But if somebody wants to go with me, that's great. So my wife and I are going to Australia. So we're excited. My whole family has gone to New Zealand because I spoke there a few years ago. Um, I remember the talk about long flights. We were flying and my daughter, Madeline goes, dad, are we going the long way? (laughs) Um, I said, Madeline, it seems like it. So, uh, but I love, I love new places and I love meeting people and people are the same everywhere. People think people are different here, wherever they're at, and they're incorrect. Sure. People are the same everywhere. And that's a blessing.
0: We've talked about so much of your, the things that motivate you and you're passionate about. What's something that, that gets under your skin and still is a pet peeve of yours?
1: Uh, complainers, um, people who root against things. Um, you know, we all know people. And some of them are in significant roles that would rather you lose than them win. And we can't live our life like that. We, we can't be like that. We can't have a dark heart. And when we do, we make dark decisions and the wrong decisions all the time. And that's something that I don't like. Uh, I like, I always think if it, if it's good for you, then it's good for the world. You know, if you feel better, I want you to do that. I, I don't compare that way. I don't get mad when somebody else wins the lottery. I you know I quit fantasy football. I love sports, love them, but I quit fantasy football because I found myself rooting against players and teams, mm-hmm. and there's no fun. Absolutely, I I cannot stand rooting against players and teams. So that's a weird thing, but just one of those deals. I I don't want to look at the world like that, and I try not to. And when people do that, I I feel sorry for them and their family and their organization if they're a leader or something. That's that's a that's a heavy burden to carry.
0: Absolutely. What's the best purchase under $100 that has had the greatest impact on your life?
1: Um, Besides the Rocket Notebook? um, (laughs) I don't know. I'm not really a buyer. Well, I am. I mean, I like to buy. I don't really like to shop. I like to buy, um, which is one reason my wife likes me, one of the few reasons. Um, I'm looking around. I'm not sure what the best. My my personal idol is Whitey Herzog. Oh, wow. So I love the book, The White Rat. Uh, by Whitey Herzog. And he's my personal. My oldest daughter, you talk about a sports fan, my oldest daughter's named after him. And her middle name's Durrell, and that's his real first name. How about that? And uh, I won an auction years ago to support Joplin, Missouri after the terrible tornadoes to spend mm-hmm. the day with Whitey Herzog. And he could not, he literally could not have been nicer. Wow. And um, we spent the whole day, gave me his home phone number. And my daughter, Catherine Durrell, sent him a graduation announcement and he wrote back with an autographed picture and said to the only Durrell I know with a college degree. And, so, <laughs> and I hadn't seen game. him for five years. I saw him at a basketball game just coincidentally last December. I walk up and he goes, hey, Todd, how's the other Durrell?
0: Wow. So that
1: is Whitey Herzog. He's truly a genius. And my leadership, anything I could do to emulate that because he's very straightforward, but not in a mean way, just very straightforward. And I've always tried to, Here's the way I think of it. I think a great teacher wants to know if they were doing something wrong. So I'm assuming an ineffective teacher wants to know if they're doing something wrong because I've got to treat everyone like they were great. And if great people want have to treat everybody like that, or how do they have a chance of becoming great? And that's kind of a Whitey Herzog thing I've learned from the way he approaches people.
0: That's great, Doc. And that goes back to the opening concept of who is that person in your life? Uh, you know, and the you do that for a lot of people where you're at now. But that was great that you shared about Whitey. That was cool. Yep. Um, what is it, You mentioned sports here. What's the thing you miss most about coaching hoops?
1: Um, just the action. I love the energy and the action. You know, and of course, you miss the players you've had, but they wouldn't be your players anyhow. You know, you'd have new players. It's funny. When I quit uh, principaling, people go, don't you miss the students? And I go, no, I miss the teachers. Because the students are, would be gone, but the teachers are still there. And so probably the interactions that way and the, the – um, everything I do is really how do you get people to do what it is you want them to do? And that's the thing I loved in coaching is figuring out what our team needed and then how do I get people to do it. I just, I just enjoyed that tremendously. It's a lot of fun. I coached my kids' youth teams for years too.
0: And a, a referee friend of mine just jumped on here. Mike Siegel mentioned it, and I've just stepped away from my college reffing here. What was something as a coach – was a, an action of a referee that that bothered you?
1: I thought they were trying as hard as they could. Um, maybe either not. I would, hustling,
0: I would think you would treat them pretty good based on talking to you today. I would think you're pretty fair to them.
1: Not hustling or losing their temper. You know, it, it's the same way as a teacher. I always say when it's uh, in a classroom, when a student's misbehaving, the teacher makes sure needs to make sure the student's the only one misbehaving. And the referees have a higher order uh than everyone else. It's like the policemen need to be better citizens than the citizens, and the referees need to be better than the players and the coaches and the way they act toward them and I don't mean that someone should mistreat them; they have to do that. The principal has to behave better than everyone else in the school because or else you lower your standard to that Absolutely. And so those things with the referees i think i I got along with them I liked referees I thought they tried, and I always thought they listened and and um uh so just if they were, I didn't like quick tempers, you know, like if a player rolled their eyes and the referee sought them out, the, I didn't say the player should have done that, but the referee shouldn't have, in my mind, shouldn't have sought them out on either team. I think it's the same thing.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Doc, we've talked about so many of your successes today here on the show. What's been something that's been a hurdle for you or a challenge in your professional career?
1: Um, that's a good question. Kind of – Some of it is, you know, I do a lot of speaking and traveling and I don't have any people. It's just me. And so kind of handling all of it, but yet trying to provide people with what they need. Um, I've always sad leaving something. I love teaching and that was sad. I loved coaching and that was sad. I love principaling and that was sad. It was always a difficult decision. Probably the hardest thing I ever did. And it's funny, we just had an anniversary of the school. I opened up a new middle school in Jefferson City, Missouri, Lewis and Clark Middle School. It's not new now, but I opened it up. And I got to hand select all 95 faculty members. I designed wow. everything in the school and left at the end of the year to go to higher ed. But I, I thought anyone could be principal here now. It's the idea. And that was really that was really a hard thing to do because <laughs> The people were so good, and it was it was beyond any. There's no not a school in the country that's even up to the point where it was multiple years ago because of the innovative people that we had there, and that
0: was really hard to do. That. Yeah, that's fantastic, uh, Doc. What's a short-term personal goal for you, uh, three to five years? Uh, excuse oh. me, three to five months. Sorry.
1: Okay. Besides weight, um, and I'd like I would like you to make a note on the Facebook if you could that the camera adds ten pounds, and there's like nine cameras we're using right now. So do the that's math.
0: High technology today. A
1: short term. Well, I'd like to. um, Well, we had our first grandson, which is great. Yeah, My only fear was I wasn't going to like the kid. Turns out I do. (laughs) Um, My son kept going, Dad, what are you going to do if the kid's ugly? And I said, I don't know. We raised you. Um, (laughs) uh, One of my daughters is moving uh, closer to us, which is very exciting. Both of them are in Missouri. That's why we moved back to Missouri. We're from Missouri originally. Both my girls settled here kind of by fluke chance. And so, uh, that was it. Um, I have several writing projects I'd like to do. I'd like to finish how to get all teachers to be like the best teachers. Um, cause in my mind, that really is the, a crowning overview of what I'm trying to accomplish. I don't know if yeah. I'm going to call it that, but that's what it is. Um, I don't know work-life balance. Everybody always has that challenge. Absolutely. I swim every day. I swim a hundred laps every day, which is a lot in our pool, but I can't breathe underwater. I don't know how. And so my goal is to learn how to breathe underwater. But the thing I've learned- Isn't, is that, an oxy-
0: swim- isn't that an oxymoron?
1: <laughs> I'm a moron. I don't know about that. <laughs> The other thing that's funny is I've learned this. If you can't swim, swimming is an unbelievably good exercise. I, I go to an indoor thing during the winter. I mean, I, I open my pool, it's, it's 30 degrees out. And I heat it and I jump in the pool if it's, as long as I can cut out the ice. And um, I swim in an indoor pool during the winter. And I'd go up to the lifeguard and I'd go, you might keep a close eye on lane three. I'm just letting you know there's lane three, you know. And so, and at first they thought I was kidding. And then they'd keep a close eye on lane three. So I was pleased.
0: Wow. Well, Doc, this is certainly the longest podcast I've had. We just reached over an hour, but it has been a treat. Uh, Again, leave us a comment or a question and and certainly we'll get back on there for you. Uh, Doc, you've helped so many people, uh, even making the time today to be here with me on education leadership beyond, um, you know, how can people reach out to you if they did want to get in touch with you, whether to hire you as a speaker, uh, things like that. What's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Anybody ever wants to visit, contact me because sometimes our jobs are lonely and I don't want you to feel lonely. And I really don't want you to know this stuff. I want you to do it. Uh, ToddWhitaker.com is my website. All my contact information's on there. And on Twitter, I'm at Todd Whittaker, And those would probably be the two easiest places but I love hearing from people. I love feedback from people. Um, and I just, I just care a ton. And I love to hear from really good people because they care a ton also. And I'm, I'm honored to have a chance to be on been on the show with
0: you. Great. And our friend Jay Billy says here that uh, we should go back and reread your books since they're so long, right? Uh, but to go back and, and reread this. And I think I'm going to do this uh, over the summer here. Uh, one of the first books I read of yours. Doc, how about you get so many quotes here today. You know, is there a quote that that is something that's important to you or something that you live by? You said so many today, but is there one that really sticks with you?
1: Um, the best thing about teaching is it matters. The hardest thing about teaching is it matters every day. The last thing, just because of time, I'm going to mention this. Somebody called me about three years ago, a principal who's a friend of mine, was one of my former teachers. And he said, how do you keep students from acting like the school year's over? And I mm-hmm. said, keep teachers from acting like the school year is over. And so that's, that's kind of it. Another one of my favorites is change is inevitable growth is optional.
0: This is great, doc. This is great. I like the end of the year one. we're approaching that time where people yes. get that little itch. So,
1: yeah,
0: well, this yeah. has been great. Uh, this is Dr. Todd Whitaker. He, he left his Twitter handle. Uh, I'm at Andrew Murata 21. Certainly uh, if either one of us can help you, but it's really been a treat. Uh, Doc, thanks so much uh, for for coming on and let's continue to go out and uh, make change in the world and continue to have an impact on people. Thank you so much, Doc.
1: Thanks for doing what you do. It makes a huge difference.
0: Here we go. We're going to sign off here on education, leadership and beyond uh, surviving and thriving. Dr. Todd Whitaker, check out his latest book. Where did I put it? Here we go. The the latest book he just wrote here, Essential Truths for Principles with Danny Steele. Uh, Todd Whitaker, everyone. Thanks so much, Doc. Thank you. Stay on the line a sec, Doc. Stay out